You're listening to the Veritas Podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. We're helping move the hearts and minds of more college students to believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, find us on social media at Veritas Como. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey, my name is Alex Gray. If we have not met, I'm one of the co-directors uh, here at Veritas. And uh, if you've never seen me, a little bit about me. I am from St. Louis. I grew up there. Uh, I came to Columbia over 10 years ago now for college. Oof. Uh, and I've been on staff for about seven years here at The Crossing. I love it. I love college students. I love ministry. Um, I really love Columbia. If you guys are new here and you don't know this, we have great food here. Maybe I'm biased, but I feel like I would know because I eat out way too much. Uh, So I spend a lot of time at these restaurants. So trust me, they're great. A year or two ago, I was at one of these restaurants with some friends, and we were talking about, uh, of all things, tornado stories, because it's the Midwest. So we've got a lot of tornado stories that we were swapping. And one of my friends, he was talking about a time that he was stuck on the highway, and he had to pull his car under an overpass and just sort of hope for the best as a tornado went by him. And thinking that I was just adding to the conversation, I mentioned how my mom had always warned us that you had to get off the highway as soon as you you heard a tornado siren because, as we all know, tornadoes follow highways. Turns out no one knew that, probably because it is not true. It's totally false. But I didn't know that. I had just believed what my mom had told me because why wouldn't I? So you can imagine my confusion and my embarrassment when my friends busted out laughing and they told me, that is pure baloney. And as silly as it was, it was kind of a a weird moment for me because it shook my confidence just a bit. And it made me think, well, where did I get that? How did I go my whole life believing something that was totally made up? Now that I think about it, what else has my mom or my dad or teachers or people in my life, what have they told me that I have just believed without asking any questions? Made me wonder, what else? Were there bigger things, more important things that I should be questioning? What did I believe about the world that could be honestly totally made up? Like, think about what you guys have learned in school leading up until now. In science classes, you learned what an atom was, but have you ever seen one? In history, you heard about Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, but were you there? Did you witness it? In elementary school, you learned that the earth revolves around the sun and the moon revolves around the earth, but have you taken a trip up to space to confirm that? No, no, you haven't had these experiences or been able to prove them yourself. You have listened to what people have taught you. Other people have proven it. Other people witnessed those things. And then you trust that that is true. And we have to do that. That, I'm not saying it's a bad tactic. It's the way that we learn information. Because you and I, we don't have the ability or the time to go experience or discover everything about the world for ourselves. And so most of what we believe, and not just scientific facts, but things that we believe about the world, like how we were created, or 
what our purpose in life is. If there's a God, a lot of those questions, we get them in part, at least, from what people have taught us. But there's tons of answers to those questions, right? So how do we determine what's actually true? When I was a freshman in college, sitting right here, I was, a lot of those questions, they were rattling around in my brain all of the time. But then my second semester, I became a Christian, and I thought, awesome. I can just read the Bible, and that settles it. I won't have to wonder ever again. But it was a bit of a surprise, right, when I started reading the Bible, because certain parts of it, it, it made a ton of sense, and it was comforting. But then other parts was unsettling, confusing, offensive even. In doubt, it would creep into my mind, and one day I would be confident in what I believed, and the next I remember thinking, is any of this real? Is it real? And at the time, I thought, I am alone in this. I'm the only one dealing with this. But as the years have gone on, and I've talked to more people, I've realized we all kind of deal with these same doubts. We all have these questions. And I've talked to countless people, so many people who have had big, weighty questions, and they don't really know where to go. There was a student leader who came to me a couple years ago after a really hard summer. She had felt isolated and really lonely, and she had prayed and prayed for comfort and relief, and she felt like God had just been silent. And now she was tired. She was tired of questioning whether... God loved her, whether he really cared, wanted to give her good things. And on top of that, she felt really ashamed because she was a small group leader. She had all the right Bible answers. She knew what she would tell anyone else who was dealing with these same doubts. And yet she felt really stuck. And it was the beginning of a hard, long season where she had to just wrestle with a lot of these questions. But she did. She wrestled with them, and I watched over the next year God show her his love for her in amazing ways. It, it was a really cool story. I think about it all the time. There was another girl that I knew that she, I knew her from my hometown, and she came to Mizzou, and she started attending Veritas. And she had grown up in a private school where her teachers and family and friends, they had taught her the message that she heard was that faith meant 100% certainty, unwavering commitment. Just trust Jesus and obey his commands. End of story. And so questions, they weren't really tolerated because it meant that her faith was weak. But then she got to college and doubts, they just started piling up, hitting her like a train. How can we really trust a Bible that is thousands of years old? And what if the authors, what if they made it all up? And really, who has the right interpretation, anyone, if anyone? How, how can we trust any of this? And these, these doubts, they just kept coming at her, and I saw her less and less over the years. I ran into her recently, though, and she was pretty open about the fact that she did not believe in God anymore. There were just too many things that she couldn't trust, too many unanswered questions. It's, it's my guess that each of us in this room, we know people who have walked away from their faith because of their doubts. I, I wish it wasn't the case, but there are just so many questions that cause us to doubt, cause us to be uncertain about what we believe. 
Like, is God really all-powerful, all-knowing? Did he create the world or did it just sort of happen? Can say faith and science, can they really fit together? Can we trust that the miracles in the Bible were historically accurate? How can we expect to be, be expected to obey the Bible when our culture is just so different than it was back then? If God is good, then why does he let bad things happen? If Jesus is coming back, why hasn't he yet? If people call themselves Christian, why are they such hypocrites? Is there actually an afterlife? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? What if I think I'm saved, but I'm not? Can God actually forgive the things that I have done? If God is with me, why doesn't he take away my sickness? Why won't he help me get a job? If he's always with me, why do I always feel so alone? What do we do with these questions? Because honestly, they're really good questions. And I didn't even mention like a fraction of what I could have. But what do we do with the things in life that just don't make sense? How do we go on when someone dies unexpectedly? Or we get a crushing diagnosis? What do we do with the stories that we hear on the news of atrocities that are happening all over the world, literally as we speak? What do we do? How do we respond? How do we go on when someone has betrayed us, when we have experienced manipulation, abuse, hurt? How do we respond to these things when they, when they cause doubt in our faith? I think the common response for a lot of Christians is just to push them away, ignore them, fear them, but don't address them. But I think doubts, I think they're normal. I think they're a normal part of our life. Because God has wired us to think rationally and to make decisions and hold convictions based off of things like evidence and experience, research, just common sense. Like preschoolers, they ask literally hundreds of questions a day, and it's because they're just trying to figure out why things are the way they are. They're trying to figure out the way the world works and what's true. So these questions about what's real, they're, they're not bad. And our doubts are going to be just a normal part of our human experience. But we have to ask, where are they leading us? Where are our doubts taking us? Our doubts, they take us somewhere. They put us on a trajectory. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've heard that we are in a series called Trajectory because we've been looking at questions that Jesus asked people, questions that fundamentally altered the direction of their life and their eternity. These are questions that drove people either toward or away from Jesus. And the question that we're going to look at tonight in Luke 24 is no different. But before we jump in, I want to set up the context a little bit because we're going to jump in in the middle of a story. Luke 24 is a chapter about some of the first recorded events right after Jesus' death and resurrection. So leading up to this, he has been arrested, tried, sentenced to death, nailed on a cross to die, and then three days later, resurrected again. So when we pick up in chapter 24... 
The beginning of the chapter is a story about a few women who go to visit Jesus' tomb. And when they get there, it's empty, aside from two angels who tell them that Jesus is risen. So these women, they run to tell the disciples, but the disciples don't believe them. The next story is about two men on a road. And they've seen, they've heard what these women saw, and they're discussing it. And as they're discussing it, Jesus himself suddenly appears and walks on the road with them, but they can't recognize him. They're being kept from seeing who he really is. And after a very interesting conversation with them, he finally reveals himself and then disappears. So like the women, the men go to tell the disciples. And that's where we pick up in Luke 24, 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So imagine what's going on here. They have all gathered together to talk about what the heck is happening, and suddenly Jesus is standing in the room with them, casually greeting them. You'd be chill about that, right? They were startled and frightened, understandably, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? What's, what's Jesus getting at with this story or with this question? Is he, is he scolding the disciples? Is he mm, kind of rebuking them for their doubt and their fear? Well, no, I don't, I don't think so, because he doesn't tell them how unfaithful they are. He doesn't talk about how foolish they've been. Look what he does. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So they are doubting. These disciples are doubting. And Jesus says to him, look, it's me. I am alive. I'm hungry. They are doubting, and Jesus is graciously, gently showing them that the same Jesus that they had spent three years with, that they had been taught by, the Jesus that had loved them, led them, who had died for them, he's the same one that's standing in the room with them. He's not a ghost. It's not just his spirit. This is him, flesh and bones, in the real. And he says, you have no reason to doubt. And here's what he has to say. This is why he has come to this room to them. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And that's just a way of referring to what we today call the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. So why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? This question, it's not meant to shame the disciples. It's meant, Jesus asked it, to push them towards conviction, to push them towards confidence in what is true, what they know. 
They have seen Jesus. He's asking them, why are you doubting? What questions could you possibly have that are lurking in your brain when the all-powerful Son of God is standing before you saying that this is what the Old Testament predicted? This is what everything has been pointing to. Answering that question, it undoubtedly changed the lives of the disciples. When Jesus came to them and he opened their minds to see everything that he was the fulfillment of everything that the scriptures had promised, well, they weren't able to doubt the resurrection. They couldn't question what they had seen. And that changed everything. They then dedicated their entire lives to being the witnesses of the world, to, to show Jesus' power over death and his salvation for his people. They endured slander, persecution, imprisonment, and brutal deaths because they were convinced that Jesus was God himself and that he had done what the Bible had said he would. I think we have to ask that question of ourselves. I think we have to ask, why do doubts rise in our minds? What causes us to hesitate or distrust who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us? For some of us, that is a life transition, like going to college or moving across the country or across the world. Sometimes, though, it's tragedy, sickness, pain that turns our world upside down and just knocks us on our feet. Sometimes it's spiritual hurt, like a, a church scandal or manipulative teaching or an abuse of power, someone who has sinned horribly against us. What's it been for you, big or small? What has made you question whether God is good and trustworthy? More and more, these questions seem to spur what's being called theological deconstruction. And deconstruction can mean a lot of different things. It can mean just unlearning bad theology. It can mean separating cultural norms from Christianity. Or it can mean rejecting faith altogether. But overall, deconstruction, it's a, a process of asking questions, exploring doubts in order to carefully dismantle and then examine what we previously believed. And deconstruction is actually pretty popular right now, culturally at least. And I get it, because the church is a really messy place. It has caused sin and pain. People have twisted scripture to mean exactly what they want it to. There's all sorts of things that the church has not done well. They have not shown the love of Christ. And so I get it. I understand that sometimes pulling back and picking apart beliefs and wondering, looking at whether following Jesus is really best for us, sometimes that needs to happen. Especially if you or someone you know has been hurt by a false message of Christianity. Exploring doubts, asking questions, it can lead us toward Jesus. It can give us confidence in his love for us. It, it can help us be freed from past hurt and harmful teaching. That can all happen. But it can also happen the other way. 
doubt. Doubts can make us mistrust, distrust, not just bad teaching, but all teaching about Jesus. We can pick apart our faith and toss out so much of what we believe until we realize that there's nothing left. We, we look back and we realize we've gotten further and further away from Jesus and we have no idea how to get back. And maybe we don't have a desire to. James, he warns about this kind of doubt in chapter one of his letter. In verse six, he says this. Well, when you ask, he's talking about asking for God's wisdom. When you ask, you must believe and do not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Interestingly, we don't get this from the English translation, but in the original Greek, this verse is talking about a kind of doubt that makes us want to distrust what God can and will do. It encourages us to be skeptical and judgmental of what the Bible has to say. And James says, this will pull us further and further away from the truth, not pull us toward it. Our doubts, they lead us somewhere. So if they're leading us somewhere, how do we steer them, you know? Like, how do we make sure that they are leading us toward a life with Jesus rather than away from one? A.J. Swoboda, he's an author who wrote a book called After Doubt. It's a really interesting book. But in a podcast about that book, he gave us some of his ideas, some of his advice. And this is more specifically about deconstruction, but I think it helps us when we're talking about how to handle our doubts in general. This is what he says. We should be asking, what are we seeking from this process of deconstruction? What's the goal of engaging with our doubts? What are we hoping to find? Are we hoping to pull apart the people and the places that hurt us? Or are we actually trying to find truth and submit to it when we find it? See, these are the, some of the questions that we should be asking about our questions, about our doubts. When you're feeling confused or or skeptical, or unsure about things like God's character, and the Bible, and the church, whatever it is, you name it, when you're feeling these things, what's your attitude towards your doubt? Maybe that sounds weird, but are we, are we subtly hoping to find flaws and inconsistencies with scripture so that we get to toss it out? Or are we willing to see what God might teach us? even if it's not what we fully expected or even what we fully understand. What are we seeking? What do we hope to find? We've got to be aware of those things in advance because doubts, they will rise in our mind. They will. And so the way that we enter into them will have a huge impact on where they eventually lead us. We cannot avoid doubts. They're just a normal part of life. They are. And if you're a Christian, I would guess that you will have seasons where you are very confident and very sure and certain about who God is and his plans for your life. And then you will have seasons where you, you feel unsure. You feel lost. You don't know if God is there or if he cares. I'm guessing that you have already experienced some of those seasons. But the good news is we don't have to fear those seasons of doubt. 
They don't actually mean that something is wrong. Maybe, in fact, it's the opposite. A few years ago, the University of Arizona researchers there, they built a, a biodome. And if you don't know what that is, because I didn't, you can think of it like a giant glass bowl that's turned over upside down onto a piece of land. So like Sandy the Squirrel's house in SpongeBob, right? Maybe that's a good visual. And so they created this thing, and they, they gave it all the perfect conditions. And so when they planted trees, they sprang up immediately. But after a few years, without warning, all of these trees just started falling over, just toppling, no explanation. And the researchers, they were totally stumped. They could not figure it out because the minerals and the pH levels, they were all good in the soil, and the air quality was great. There were no bugs or diseases, and so there was, no, there was nothing that they could figure out. But finally, it dawned on one of them. The biodome, it was missing one thing, one necessary thing, really. Wind. Do you know what trees do when they get pushed around by the wind? They grow roots. They dig deep into the soil to hold firm and stand tall against that wind. So those trees, when there was no wind, they had no roots. They had nothing to hold firm to, and so eventually they fell. Our doubts, they're a lot like that wind. They're a lot like the wind because they create resistance. They push against our beliefs and they make us sway and waver. But if those doubts never came, or if we ignored them or pushed them away out of fear, then we would not be growing roots in our faith. So when a professor makes a demeaning joke about a Christian or Christians that you know, you'll feel ashamed and uneducated and ignorant. When your roommate looks at you like you're an alien because you believe in God, you're going to stop mentioning that you go to church on Sundays and you'll sleep in instead. When somebody on speaker's circle makes Jesus look like a crazy person or a mythological creature, you will, you'll wonder, do I sound just as outrageous? And slowly, little by little, Christianity, it'll start to look a little bit more like a joke, like a platitude for the simple-minded and the weak, or worse, a dangerous, harmful lie. Don't ignore your doubts. Don't ignore those questions. Lean into them. Because when you do, you are learning to hold firm against the wind of culture and criticism searching for answers in scripture and praying for God's wisdom, those are the things that are going to be building and growing our roots. We will be building a foundation on Jesus. I should warn you, though, I cannot guarantee that when you lean into doubts, that you will always come away with a, a clear answer or a feeling of peace. You may not. You may wrestle with the same things your entire life. There may be things about the world or God's plan that just never make sense. There may be commandments in the Bible that, frankly, you wish were not there. I for sure have those. There are parts of the Bible that I just, I don't like. They don't sit well with me. They offend me or they, they sadden me. Those are things that we will always maybe question. 
We will always have those things because that's unfortunately the reality of living in a world that is still waiting for Jesus to come back. We are always going to be doubting, have doubts in our life. We will not have the answers. We'll have doubts maybe consistently, maybe on and off, but hear me when I say you are not alone in that. Music team, you can come back up. See, we are always going to experience doubts in our life. You, me, everyone. No one is exempt. But that means if everyone is dealing with those things, then we don't have to face them alone. We don't have to hide for them from them or, or cover them up. We can ask hard questions together. Veritas, it is a place where it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to explore doubts. Everyone, we are all people in process. God is shaping each and every one of us over time. And we need each other to do that. We need each other for support and encouragement and comfort. That's why we do all the things that we do. That's the reason that we teach from the Bible and sing in worship together on Tuesday. That's why we have small groups, right? A place where you can share about your life and people there will listen and they'll pray for you. It's why we get away for a weekend at Camp Veritas. It's why we go to Jamaica and Japan every year. This is ingrained in everything that we do. We want to make space for you to wrestle with your questions right beside other people and with Jesus. So, like Nick said, whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or whether you have no idea what you think about God, we're really glad you're here. Because we think that Jesus, with your doubts, he's working in and through us together. So keep coming back. Join us. Keep wrestling. Because we think that the trajectory that Jesus wants to set your life on is worth it. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, there is so much in this life that we do not understand that we have no answers for, that bring us grief and confusion and fear. And it honestly, it makes it hard, Jesus, to trust in your name. There's a lot that we may not understand and we will have doubts the rest of our life, but Jesus, we pray that you are working in us, that you are showing us gently and graciously who you are, that you're giving us more and more confidence in those things that we'd be, we'd be sure of your name, of your glory, and that it would change our life, that it would transform us, and that we would be just joyful uh, to live for you, even in the things um, that we do not understand as we, as we wait for you to come back. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, make sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow us on social media at Veritas Como. Thanks again for listening.